Welcome to our latest episode of ACC Northeast Practice and Career Management Committee's podcast series, Around the In-House. I'm your moderator, Alex Afariot, Legal Counsel at the Boston Consulting Group, ACC Northeast Board Member, and member of the Practice and Career Management Committee. We're back again to speak with more members of the in-house practice about their careers, aspirations, challenges, and personal passions. We hope to continue to provide our listeners with this great opportunity to hear directly from other members about the issues that they're facing and to share their tips about building a successful in-house practice. So thanks again for joining us for another trip around the in-house. This episode, I'm delighted to welcome my friend and colleague, Cole Berry, who is Director and Managing Legal Counsel and the Global Head of Employment and Labor Law at the Boston Consulting Group. Cole is a graduate of Ursinus College and Boston University School of Law. Cole started his legal career at Ropes and Gray before moving in-house at State Street. But as listeners will soon learn, Cole is now a bleeding green BCG'er with nearly seven years at the firm, and he's been instrumental in the growth of the BCG legal team, as well as to the overall success of the firm. I'm so thrilled to have Cole joining me today. Welcome, Cole. Alex, thank you so much. I am a big fan of the podcast, so it is an honor to be here. Really looking forward to this chat. Thank you. Thank you. So um, let's just dive right in. I think I'd like to start with your journey to BCG. Uh, you arrived at the firm in 2014. So tell us a bit how you got there and tell us what BCG, BCG Legal was like when you arrived. Sure. I think that my career was always on an in-house trajectory. Um, even though I loved my time at Ropes and Gray, they were formative years. I was doing a lot of corporate transactional work. Something about helping one organization uh, undergo their journey appealed to me right away, especially at the law firm. I'd, I'd move on from a client matter and I'd miss that client because I had gotten so embedded with them. So luckily an opportunity presented itself for my first in-house move at State Street. And I'll tell you, it was, it was the perfect first in-house role. I was working with multiple businesses, incredibly knowledgeable in-house lawyers, uh, learned a lot about honing my in-house style. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what became apparent to me right away was that I didn't love the subject matter. And mm -hmm. it wasn't that financial services isn't fascinating. It is, but it just wasn't something that I was passionate about. So I found myself being really reflective about what what is it that I'm passionate about? Because the beauty of law is every industry needs lawyers. So whether I wanted to go save the manatees or I wanted <laughs> to go and 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 work for 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 some sort of um, scientific endeavor, you know, everything in between was was open to me. So what ended up happening was consulting. The industry started to get on my radar bit by bit. Friends that were management consultants. I had uh, a buddy who who ended up. Um, uh, his company had an experience with McKinsey. And so the more I heard about and, and learned about consulting in the industry, the more fascinated I became about what they did because these big consultancies basically touched every single industry and across the industry from operations and people to strategy. And wouldn't you know it, uh, a headhunter reached out to me and mentioned that BCG was hiring. And so it was sort of the start of the lining. And the role that they were looking for was a 
corporate generalist. And at the time, I hadn't even decided what it is that I was most passionate about within the law. Um, mm -hmm. I had done, as I mentioned at the firm, a lot of transactional work at State Street. I did a lot of uh, broker-dealer sort of regulatory thinking, um, and nothing had sort of caught my interest as, as long-term. And the opportunity to become a generalist jumped out at me. And so when I joined the BCG legal team, it was um, uh, relatively small. We were representing BCG across 50 countries, but there were less than 20 lawyers. And each of us wow. was wearing many hats. My first year, I was dealing with uh, litigation and IP strategy and working on, on run-of-the-mill um, MSAs for clients and getting into uh, various um, uh, employee matters. And it was, it was all fascinating um and and uh probably unsustainable though <laughs> well so you mentioned you you came as a generalist but obviously now you know several years later you have a much more focused remit um so you know how do you you know talk to us about that or how can you tell us more about that transition from from a generalist to being more um of a specialist and i i I think that this goes exactly to that point I made about being unsustainable. And I need to give credit to our general counsel, um, Ulrika, who you know well, but she came into BCG uh, about midstream of my time here. And she really looked at the legal team, this relatively small team of generalists, and she had a vision of where we needed to become more experts, where we needed to bring on more lawyers so that somebody didn't just have a foot in intellectual property, but we had an intellectual property specialist. And as we built out the team, both in the number of lawyers and in deep expertise, uh, there was a need for someone to take over the global employment practice. And luckily, during my time as a generalist, uh, because BCG is so hyper-focused on people, uh, uh, rather than you know uh, making widgets, we deploy people out into the world to help our clients solve their most pressing issues. So um, there were so many experiences that I had early on that focused around not just labor and employment, but those intangible people-related matters. And so it really was just, um, I was right place, right time with the right experience um, across BCG with these people matters that I was able to take advantage of this opportunity to, to, to jump into this global employment role. But I think it's important to note that I didn't try to position myself as an employment expert. And mm -hmm. what Ulrika allowed me to do was build out a team of experts so that I was able to take my institutional knowledge, I was able to take the learnings that I had generally in the labor and employment space, but then build out a wonderful pyramid of incredibly sophisticated global employment lawyers under me. And it, it, it was that combination of mm -hmm. deep expertise 
and and um, someone in my position who who had uh, a, a breadth of experience across the organization that we were able to drive some some real change over the past few years. It's amazing. It's an incredible transformation. So, you know, again, we, we talk about BCG being a people driven business um, and, and given your remit, I'm, I'm just curious, what sort of challenges do you face when managing, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the people matters of a, of a global firm like BCG? It, it's, um, it's one of my greatest challenges and also one of the best opportunities to add value. And it is that we know that having people in 50 different countries means that we're subject to 50 different legal regimes but we as a firm have a core set of values and we mm -hmm. have an ethos about how we treat people how we serve our clients how we serve society and i think by sort of tethering our mindset to that north star what is it that sets bcg apart our company apart all the other pieces fall into place and so i think that to come back to your question the greatest challenge is how does our team mm -hmm. make sure that we address risk and we address challenges in a globally consistent way when we know that we have all that churn from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and also helping our stakeholders on the ground appreciate that, well, a particular solution may sound novel, for example, in the Netherlands, a little bit off market, mm -hmm. get our local stakeholders to, uh, to be on board with the, by being a little unorthodox in that geography, we allow for fairness and consistency across the world so that everyone is rowing in the same direction. And it, 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 it leads to myriad challenges and opportunities, but, but um, absolutely fascinating uh, to take on. So, you know, I think it's, it's um, unfortunate we have to even talk about this, but we're in the middle of what looks like, you know, yet another spike of, of COVID-19 cases across the country and the world. You know, I know COVID has been an area that you've been particularly focused on, given your, your role at BCG. What can you tell our listeners about how this crisis has really shaped or perhaps even reshaped your role? Oh, it, it's at the beginning of this year, uh, and I'm sure everybody's in the same boat. You just never could have imagined in January what you would be doing, how you would be feeling now in October as we as we record this and and I'm I'm definitely in that boat and what was fascinating is the way that it evolved for me for me my role for legal teams role at BCG it started off as everyone knows uh focused on Asia Pacific where BCG has a large and important presence so back in January I was deeply involved in helping to make sure that we were keeping our employees in uh, uh, Greater China and then Southeast Asia. And as it spread throughout AP, making sure that our people were safe and protected and that we were able to uh, uh, keep our business running, but keep our clients safe. And then all of a sudden it jumped to Italy. And I think that that was the weekend um, uh, that I realized that we were we were in a whole different ball game, and and from from Italy to Europe and Europe 
to to the U.S. and the rest of the world, it, it was quick. And uh, during that time, we had to not only react to pressing in the moment issues, but it soon became incumbent that we needed to start getting out in front of stuff. We needed to be looking around the corner. And I would say that March, April, May were some of the busiest I've ever been in my life, but also the most professionally satisfying because once we buckled in and we realized that there was turbulence and that we were gonna be in this turbulent environment for a while, we started to stand up teams. The legal team, for example, we started to, to have meetings uh, uh, on a daily basis to check in from the people side, the commercial side, the, the data privacy side, um, uh, keeping our fingers on the pulse of the business and then thinking, how can we be proactive? What is it that we can bring to the business that they're not thinking about uh, that we can get two steps ahead? Because at first, we kept finding ourselves behind, but slowly by slowly, slowly but surely, Alex, we started to get a step ahead. We started thinking about uh, novel contact tracing mechanisms. We started thinking about uh, 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 risk that our business would be dealing with, um, maybe not at that exact moment, but soon coming down the pike as we got back to being on site with our clients or our clients being on site with us uh, country by country. And then the myriad data privacy issues. And we were able to establish this great rapport with the business that, that um, not only do I think we added a lot of value, I think that we were able to help keep people safe. And that is um, incredibly satisfying. It's incredible, and and certainly from my role on the team, it has it's been incredible to to be a part of. So I'd like to switch focus a little bit, you know, and and somewhat of a segue. You know, um, it, it's a topic I know you're very passionate about is how um, how we build and become part of a world class legal team. And you know, I, I would love to hear more about your your philosophy of in house practice that you've brought to BCG and 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 really to your career in general. How how do you approach being an in house lawyer? Yeah, and I know that you and I have discussed this in, in the past, Alex. It really is so uh, close to my heart. And maybe what would be helpful as I jump in is what I have in my mind when I'm thinking about building a world-class legal team. And, and I think that that's three broad buckets that I focus on. One, are our lawyers happy the lawyers that make up our team are they professionally challenged do they like coming to work do they do they see themselves here long term um incredibly important uh prompt second are our clients happy are our internal stakeholders getting the type of not only legal services they need but are they feeling that we're being proactive and that we're really helping to drive change. Um, and you could certainly imagine a scenario where lawyers are happy and clients are happy, but maybe we're missing efficiency. And that's the third prong. Are we, are we staffed the right way as a team? Are we managing our cost the right way? And keeping all three balls in the air is um, a challenge. 
but I think it's something that if you're focused on those three prongs, um, then you can bring uh, uh, the different solutions to bear to keep all three balls up in the air at the same time. Underpinning all of that is my own personal bedrock of being an in-house lawyer. And Alex, I do not remember when this hit my radar, but at some point early on in my career, maybe even in law school, I read an article uh, by a gentleman named Ben Heineman Jr. He was the general counsel of General Electric back in the 80s or 90s. The article was called The General Counsel as Lawyer Statesman. And I won't try to summarize, but basically it said to be an effective in-house lawyer, you got to come wearing three hats. Uh, one, you got to be uh, a gangbuster technical lawyer. You know, you need to know the law, what your client needs you to know. You got to have that at the ready so that they know that when you're speaking about the law, they can trust what you're saying. You need to be a wise counselor. You need to not just be thinking about do we prevail or lose under the law, but what are the second order impacts? What are the tertiary impacts? How does this impact morale? How does it impact um, uh, our, our, our reputation as, as a domestic or global organization? And having that mindset that maybe your business colleagues in the moment are so hyper-focused on an issue that they're, that they're not thinking about. And finally, the lawyer as a business leader. It's what, what are you bringing to the table to, back to my original point, help the organization on their journey. And that my view of, of a world-class legal team is that we're made up of lawyers that wear these three hats all the time. It's incredible. I, I love that expression, the lawyer statesman. So, you know, we've talked extensively on this podcast and and certainly, you know, on our team, but um, it, it, about what a business partner means. Many of our other guests have have shared their their vision. So maybe we could dive maybe in on that third prong and sort of what does being a good business partner really look like to you um, in, in the from your from your viewpoint? To answer the question, I think it's good to pose what one of the biggest challenges is. And it's the idea that calling legal is like calling the fire department, you know, <laughs> or, or that, that, you know, legal is a process point to get from, from start to over the end line. We got to get legal in <laughs> and, and helping to nudge the business toward not viewing legal as an outsider but as a valued collaborative partner and so i think that that the challenge lies in really pressing in and being passionate about the business and so that includes getting incredibly knowledgeable about what it is that your business does what are the offerings how do they go to market what are the things they talk about with their clients in pitches? Um, understanding the, the lingo, the vernacular, and all of that culminates when I think you're, that you're firing on all cylinders is when you're having a conversation with the business about something tricky, 
and you don't say you all, you guys, you say we. Mm-hmm. This is what I think we should do. This is how we should be looking at this. And now that can feel a little bit artificial at first, but I really believe that the more you press in and and the, the more you get in the trenches with your business. Now, some of it, it's, it's hard in your first year at an organization to feel that you're not a fraud when you're saying we and us, and it feels a little bit presumptuous, but I'll tell you, once you've helped them through a couple of tricky scenarios and you've proven your worth, then they start to look at you as one of them. And, and that's when you, you capitalize on that by, by taking the ball to the next level. And before you know it, you're not legal. You are whatever your name is. And they want to bring Alex or Cole or Sarah or Michelle in every single time they have a problem because they value the advice that you bring because they know you're wearing those three hats. It's a phenomenal way to look at it, you know, and not to bring us back to COVID, but I do think it's, it's hard to, to think about sort of the, um, the level of connection and, and the, you know, sort of, as you said, being pressed in when we're all remote from one another and when everyone is, you know, working from home and in different places and, and we're unable to be, you know, co-located with the business like we, we are so used to doing. So I'm just curious, what is, what have been some of your um, tips and, and what advice do you have to sustain this advisor role at a time when decision-making is, is remote? Yeah, it, it, it's what a challenge for all of us. And I know that there's so many different dynamics that, that your listeners are probably having, having in your head, in their heads right now, right? There's, there's people that are used to having gone into an office place and all of their stakeholders are always right there. Uh, and, and so now you're completely separated. So it is a 180 from where they were before. And then you have sort of the hybrid model where you don't get to collaborate live, but um, also you're, you continue to deal with people that are remote. And I think though that no matter what, you we're in an unprecedented period of stressors that are changing the dynamic. Me, for example, I spent a lot of time dealing with individuals outside of Boston where I sit. And so it wasn't that big of a, of a difference to move to this Zoom environment. But I think what, um, what we all got to keep in mind is the impact that COVID in the situation has on everyone. And it can't be understated because even if you can get used to working at home, uh, all the time and no longer socializing with your work colleagues. We're just in this environment of constant change and everybody's dealing with their own personal situation. And so I think that part of continuing to give that great impactful advice is keeping the human element in your mind at all time, times that your stakeholders, they are probably gonna be under incredible pressure or new pressures, then they're gonna be coming at you in ways that it may feel aggressive or it may feel rushed or you're dealing with your team and you're not able to get the productivity out of your uh, particular lawyers in the way that you used to. And keeping in mind, even as this drags on 
and it could drag on for a while, is that this is never going to become easy and normal necessarily. And so we need to overlay everything with, with kind of what I would dumb down to just understanding and kindness and additional patience, whether it's mm -hmm. with stakeholders, whether it's with individuals on the other side, to kind of take everything through that prism of everybody's doing their best. Um, and then, you know, continuing to do the good work you were doing before about growing relationships. One of the mm -hmm. things that I miss the most, Alex, is random coffees. You know, going yeah. to the office and bumping into somebody who was visiting from Germany or from China or, or just bumping into somebody from Boston that I haven't seen in a while, taking 15 minutes and catching up. That's no longer an option now. But, but what's always an option is in these Zoom calls, spending a couple minutes talking about life. And yeah. I think that although we're respectful of the fact that, hey, I know you got seven Zoom calls after me and you got to get going, that just trying to lean into that human element is at the end of this, that's how we're going to have keep making progress on whether it's our legal colleagues or our business colleagues, um, doing our best with the medium that we have. I will say that there are some environments that Zoom is more intimate than it used to be. I, I remember going to, to large board meetings and the room was huge and maybe the person speaking was way down at the end and I could hear what he or she was saying, but what weren't really interacting that much. In Zoom, I'm looking right at their face. I'm seeing their emotions. And I think it's looking for those differentiators and leveraging them the best that you can is what we all need to be thinking about. It's a phenomenal way to look at it and, and a great a great way to to approach it. Um, so, you know, before we wrap up, there's a, you know, a couple of things that I ask every guest on the podcast. So, um, you know, I want to start with, again, you, you, you have a, a, a long uh, in-house legal career now, but what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first entered the in-house practice? So I'm going to caveat what I'm going to say is, is that it, it's not meant to undermine the legal profession, but the, the answer <laughs> is, is that the law isn't everything. It's the base. It's the starting block, the springboard, it's a jumping off point. When, when we as in-house counsel use outside counsel, we're like, give me the law. You know, mm -hmm. here's a fact pattern, let me know what the law is. And that is not what our colleagues in uh, our business are looking for. They, of course, want us to, to help them comply with the law, but then it's how do we parlay that understanding of the guardrails into the art of possible? And I think that that's where a lot of new in-house lawyers, they, they don't wanna overstep their role. They feel some sense of trepidation, like they're skiing outside their lane. And I wish that I knew at the beginning that that is what I'm here for. That's what the business needs an in-house legal team for. It, 
it goes back to those three hats. They want me firing on all cylinders because me telling them, yes, you can do this without telling them what the consequences could be down the line is incredibly unhelpful. And it just puts them in a position that they think, my goodness, you really let me down. You, you, you sent me on this direction and you never gave me a heads up. And so embracing that, that you are, are, are being utilized uh, firstly because you have that, that ability. We went to law school to, to, to be able to, to, to decipher the law, but then it's all the other uh, elements of our skill set that, that they really want us to bring to bear. And the sooner an in-house lawyer taps into that, the more powerful uh, they'll become and the more progress they'll make in their organization. It's a great, great answer, Cole. And, and my last question, my second question is, you've given us a lot of great advice and to our listeners today, but what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Um, it, it, it's, I've been lucky to get a lot of great little tidbits over the years, but I, I think that one, especially during COVID, that is so important is that you need to give yourself permission to turn off. And I don't say that cavalierly, like make sure you take vacation or, you know, that you uh, enjoy a little bit of your weekend. No, it's that um, you, you are going to be so much more productive if you're able to, at the end of every day, say, you know what, I've done my best. Let's pick it up tomorrow. I mean, um, Annie said it the best. You can bet your bottom dollar that the sun <laughs> is coming out tomorrow, right? And and that's true. Tomorrow, your computer will turn on. Your inbox will be there. You you'll you'll be able to dive in. But if if we spend too much time thinking about, I got to get everything off my plate. I got to get all these emails out. I got to get a clean desk. Then I'll sleep better. Um, yes, maybe you will, but over time, it takes so much out of you. And, and I, I really struggled at the beginning of, of my career, certainly at the, at the law firm, but, but even early on in my in-house career, of feeling like there was always more to do. And so even when I was uh, 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 technically not working at night or on the weekend, work would be churning in my head. And, and, and what I soon realized was that that everything works itself out. Now, granted, that sense of, of um, jumping into stuff and keeping stuff going, that helps a lot of us to be successful and productive, but left unchecked, it can also um, lead to us just burning out. And so I think that that, that that advice of give yourself permission to just turn off Hang out with your family and your friends, pet your dog, watch your favorite <laughs> TV show, get a good night's sleep, and jump into it the next day. The sooner you get into that rhythm, um, the better. That's such a perfect way to end it, Cole. Well, thank you so, so much for, for, uh, for joining us today. 
Um, this has been another episode of Around the In-House, which is now available on iTunes. So please be sure to subscribe, follow us on Twitter at ACC Northeast, and watch, and watch out for the ACC Northeast chapter post on LinkedIn to hear more future episodes of Around the In-House. I'm Alex Affariot, looking forward to speaking with you again soon. And thank you again, Cole, for, uh, for all your time today. Thanks, Alex.